HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, open year-round. Learn more at bbg.org. This week, Meat and Three is taking you to market and all over the world, from Newfoundland to Tunisia. Well, a lot of us think of, you know, the British Empire trading things like spices and sugar and silk. But you write that it actually began with salt cod from Newfoundland. <laughs> there was a port closure in Tunisia, which was horrible. I mean, it was months, boats just setting on the water waiting to go and they couldn't go anywhere. And we'll learn about how markets have changed, whether because of their customers or the climate. A few years ago, something around 10 years, it was totally different. It almost manifests itself to almost smelling like an old fire pit. When you, mm-hmm. when you put it out, it has that sort of charcoal-y smell to it. It's not good for wine. Join us this week on Meet and 3 for our global market tour. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's not terrible. We're uh, down here in New Orleans, Louisiana, hanging out at uh, 2019's Tales of the Cocktail. I'm sitting in my pretty palatial rental. Have you seen this old place? It's pretty palatial. Uh, I've just seen the bathroom and the kitchen. <laughs> That's it. So far, so good. Hey. <laughs> I stayed here two nights before I realized there was a second floor. <laughs> uh, I'm hanging out with my dear friend, Chris Elford, uh, who used to work with me at Amore Margo and then shipped off to sunny Seattle, Washington for the love of his life and then has proceeded to open up several ass-kicking bars. Truth. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> the Faux Studio. Thanks. Happy to be here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Truly <clears throat> a long-time listener. And also a first-time caller. Is your first time on the show? It's my first time on that. Well, we did a little mini thing that mm-hmm. uh, I think is collecting dust somewhere. Probably. In a shoebox under your bed. <laughs> yeah. That was at Portland Cocktail Week last year. <clears throat> That's right. And a lot's changed since then. So A lot has changed since then. Well, a lot's changed in general. And, uh, you know, I, I know you definitely uh, at least tell me that you listen to the show sometimes. So you kind of got a, for- a feel for the format, um, how it goes. So kind of usually start talking about, like, what got you going? And, you know, I'd like to even go all the way back to, like, comedy. Comedy's, comedy's what, what got you to New York City, right? Yeah, it is. I was doing stand-up comedy and very much enjoying it. And I enjoy writing um, and wanted to pursue it in New York and then kind of needed to get a job when I got into town. Got hired at a cocktail bar at Lewis 649, which is where I met Tristan, which is how I got the job in Amoria Margo. Um, but yeah, it was the first place I applied and, um, I didn't have any cocktail experience, but I was really into beer and they wanted somebody who knew beer. And honestly, I just found that once I got behind the bar in New York, that it scratched a lot of the same itches that doing stand up did, you know, kind of a captive audience. People were laughing at you. People are laughing. <laughs> People are laughing at me. They're laughing near me also. Um, I, I really, I feel like between the writing, like writing menus, um, you know, the creative aspect of creating drinks, 
um, and kind of the, the self-deprecating sort of aspect that I feel like a lot of good bartenders have, you know, like the, the ability to laugh at yourself when you, when you screw something up. I feel like those things are all pretty, you know, like in, in concert with the skill of doing stand-up or, or writing comedy, for sure. Yeah, <clears throat> you, you, I know you have a lot of punny names and connectivity things on your menu that you know, like connect things to, to visceral reactions for the guests to have, and <clears throat> I, I can definitely see how that would scratch that same edge. And plus, you know, everyone says it, and I, I take it with a grain of salt, but you kind of are, you know, the focal point of the audience, as it were, when you're behind a bar, so I'm sure that scratches that itch as well. But so you got behind the bar at Lewis 649. Yep. And you were serving... It wasn't a craft cocktail bar. At yeah, that it was. Time. It, it was, was a just, craft cocktail bar oh, yeah, for was. sure. It I was? mean, the, the the first menu that I stepped into there, I think there were about sixty cocktails on the menu, and it was Whoa. this this spec sheet, this godforsaken spec sheet that was had all of the all the drinks were printed kind of straight across in like an Excel sheet style thing, and they were all about a three point font, including you know very last you'd get to what the glassware was and what the garnish was, but um, yeah, I just kind of got thrown into it. When, when a handful of bartenders left left the bar and, and I think it was a Thursday night and I got back there and um, I almost served someone we used vodka bottles for our, or, or uh, reused vodka bottles for our simple syrup bottles and I, I did straw taste before I sent out a simple syrup martini um, on my first <laughs> night there <laughs> you know um, and, and yeah it was too sweet <laughs> it, was, it was it was unbalanced yes yeah two ounces of Simple syrup up against the ounce of vermouth. Yeah. Perfect. Lovely. It's got cordial of sorts. Just as dry as you ordered it, sir. Yeah, but I got into mm. I got into um, the service industry the same way that you did, which was cooking. I was um, I was a cook at a barbecue restaurant in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Cooking ribs. Did a lot of microwaving. <laughs> <laughs> Side dishes. <laughs> Making barbecue sandwiches. The micro chef. Yeah. Uh, You're a micro station. I, I shudder to think at what a bad employee I was back then, to be honest with you. But but it all makes you into what you are today, right? For sure. I think that I like, you know, sometimes I find myself shaking shaking my head or rolling my eyes at, you know, things that my employees do now. And uh, if uh, if I'm really being honest with myself, I'm just reaping what I sowed, you know? Yeah, like, yeah of course. I mean, the day. there's definitely that sort of like dad aspect of it, right? You're looking at your your your, your kids and thinking like, those are the assholes. And then you think, well, I guess I did the same thing. Maybe worse. If any of my employees are listening, I never think of you as assholes. <laughs> I'm very grateful for everyone that works for us. But I do. Yeah, I mean, it's all part of a journey. And um, I'm sure that someday I'll look back on my early years as a bar owner and, and roll my eyes at myself then, too. It's, that's all, all kind of part of the process. One of the things that we end up talking about, not to get philosophical too quickly, but one of the things that I end up talking about a lot and um, thinking about a lot is um, curiosity and the fact that I think that great chefs and great bartenders are very curious people. Um, and I think that we have a tendency as we grow in our career to lose some of that curiosity because everyone is feeding you what's partially a lie and partially a, a truth, um, but everyone's feeding you this um, this notion that you've arrived and that, you know, you don't make any mistakes, really. Right. Um, the seminar that I've done a couple times, I did it at Portland Cocktail Week last year, and I did it at Toronto Cocktail Conference, which you came to. It was rad. Yeah. I can't, uh, in Portland one. Yeah. But it was rad. Uh, so it's called A Culture of Curiosity, and the idea is t- uh, that you remain relevant throughout your career by by maintaining and cultivating and kind of rewarding a sense of curiosity and, and a sense of w- wondering kind of what everything is. And I, th- I think that I interact with so many, you know, bartenders and chefs who have made it who, you know, I want to know all about them. And we get into a conversation, and it's clear that they don't care to know anything about me or my bars or my city or, you know, really anything. And I'm just like, this is a person who's probably in many ways like plateauing in their career. I can, I can guarantee it. Do you find that they, uh, they're very interested in telling you about them though? Yeah, you know, it's probably. Just a one-sided I mean, conversation. I, yeah. I mean like, you know, if, if you're, if you are a curious people, you're going to ask people about who they are. And I think that it's one thing that you and I have made careers on is being curious about the average person that walks into our bar. You know, we don't, we don't ask people how they've, if they've been in before, how did you find out about us? 
et cetera, all of those questions that I know that you and I ask probably verbatim to our guests on opposite mm -hmm. coasts. Yep. Um, we don't do that, um, you know, for our health. It's because we're curious to, to get this information from people. Um, and I think that, you know, you can, on one hand, it feeds your soul because if you're a curious person, you get to dig into more of more deeper layers of life, basically. But it's also information that you can use. You know, I know more about my guests because of that. And I make decisions based on it. So do I. I mean, it's it's still <clears throat> I know what you're referring to is is at a more it's still it's still a, a pinnacle thing that we do when someone comes in and we don't recognize them. We say, hey, is your first time in? And then their answer will, will determine what the next question is. But if it's no, then you say, well, how did you hear about us? Uh, and we can glean a lot of information from those answers. And it's do you remember one time when someone came in and I think it was you and I were working or maybe it was maybe it was me and Nick Bennett back in the day. But someone came in and, and uh, we're like, hey, have you been in before? No. Um, oh, cool. How'd you hear about us? Yelp. Well, what did Yelp tell you about us? Oysters. <laughs> And yes. we were like, we don't, we don't sell oysters. We never have. And we never on, have. Yeah. yeah, I think you're on a different page. It's somewhere in Yelp <laughs> still that uh, Amor has a pool table. So every now and again, Amazing. someone comes in and asks where the pool table is. And the standard response of the staff at this point is just, it's out for service. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Roy, my, my wife owns a bar called Rob Roy, a classic cocktail bar in Seattle that this August turns 10 years old pretty big, huge monument for them but That's massive, um, yeah. uh, people it has a reputation as being a cigar bar which it isn't cigars smoking has never been legal in bars since this bar has been open and people are just get really 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 upset when they realize that they can't come in and drink some scotch and puff on a cigar in a bar in <laughs> Seattle <laughs> the healthiest city in the country <laughs> uh, yeah the thing is nobody goes back and cleans up the internet no, yeah, uh, true. All that stuff just lives on forever. And then you have to, you know, if you're in the joke, you can be in the joke. But if you're not, you're just, what do you, we don't have a pool table. Look around. There's not even room for <laughs> a pool table. There would not be room for a pool table in there. Maybe ice hockey. I mean, uh, air hockey. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I love that part of your philosophy about curiosity. Um, and I feel like that's definitely led you to do the things that you do, which is constantly pursuing education. Um, right? So you... You got behind the bar and you were kind of fumbling around, but you then dove in and, and dug around for information so you'd be a better at it. Well, I was way in over my head when I when I got hired at well, really when I got behind the bar at Lewis, I was in over my head, and then and then I felt the same way at a more. Um, one of the phrases I've tried to stop saying is "fake it till you make it," because I think that that acknowledges something that's not necessarily true, which is that you're faking it. I think if you have a genuine interest in something and you're trying to learn, there's nothing, there's no faking it about it. You know, yeah. you can stand behind a bar and serve people and not know everything that is, you know, on your back bar. Um, that's, that's a journey and a journey that you have to be on. But yeah, I mean, as far as, as far as our bars go, you know, I, I obviously worked at a more, um, an open proletariat in New York as well. Right. Cause you really dove headlong into the beer thing. Yep. Um, I had a hard time breaking into the beer industry in, in New York. And then again, in Seattle, it's a lot more closed off. And I think one of the reasons is that in the, in the beer world, if your job is working in bars at best, you're probably a curator and, or maybe a, you know, a docent or something like that. Like someone who's really good at describing things, but you're not a maker in the cocktail world. You have to be a maker and you or I could walk into a cocktail bar or anybody listening to this podcast could walk into a cocktail bar and probably look at a person making a drink and tell the general level of skill that that person has right in a beer bar you can't do that really you would have to really dig in in conversation to kind of like get an idea of where the person is and, and at the end of the day what you're talking about what you would be talking about is a subjective the only subjective sense taste or taste and smell you know that's the only sense that you and I could, you know, both taste the same thing. And, and one of us would be like, I think that tastes like butterscotch. And one of us would be like, I think that tastes like German chocolate, German chocolate. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's just listing our desserts from last night. Go <laughs> A pineapple upside down cake. Yeah. I'm getting notes of pineapple upside down cake. We did order three desserts. Um, but I don't know. I think that's, the, it's just hard to tell in the beer world if someone actually can play. You know what I mean? And honestly, I think that there's a lot of people, 
I think the beer world is is probably 20 years behind the cocktail world in the focus on hospitality. I go to very few breweries or beer bars where I am made to feel at home or at all special or cared for. Um, I think that's an enormous thing that's that's missing in in a lot of places. And and when I find it in a beer bar, that place is like becomes my temple. Um, you know, obviously Corey. Bonfiglio does a wonderful job of that at Beer Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he's been on the show before. Yep. And uh, and and y'all talked about it. And uh, I just wanted to say I thought of it first. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, th- there's a place in in Seattle that does um, a really good job of it. A brewery called Holy Mountain, and they're making some of the best beer in the country. And they just hire the sweetest people. And you know, it's a full full on just turn and burn brewery there's large groups of people walking in there and um, they get enormous after work crowds but they hire really 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 friendly people and it's just it it makes people want to come back whether or not they know that that's why i mean the beer is also good that doesn't hurt but you can you can sell a mediocre product and have really good people and and be in business indeed and the opposite is not true you can't you can't have an exceptional product and mediocre people well unfortunately yes right i mean the i think in the in the beer world Not, not, not for longevity anyway right I think in the beer world, you are finding a lot of places that are legendary because they have bad service or because they're like, you know, almost like the dive bar kind of aspect where people can kind of like be a dick to you. And it's like, but but in those situations, the guest has to be in on the joke. You know what I mean? It really needs to be like your stick, basically. Um, you can't just be a dick to people randomly and expect them to keep coming back in. And give you money. Um, yeah, I, I wish that that was different in the in the beer world, but I think the cocktail community is is doing a really, honestly, a pretty wonderful job of growing in that area in the hospitality realm, which is all that matters, honestly. Is how we make people feel. We only get one shot at life, as far as we know. You know what I mean? You might only get one shot at interacting with any with the person that's sitting in front of you, and to to squander that and and make them, you know, feel anything other than just goodness in life is a mistake. I think. Wow. Well, that's a great uh, place to pause just for a second. We're going to pause and take a break and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back with more with Chris Elford from Seattle, Washington, right here on the Speakeasy, live from New Orleans. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn featuring spectacular plant displays year-round. Make the most of the last days of summer on Thursday, August 22nd at Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Beer and Bocce Benefit, a one-of-a-kind garden party featuring lawn games, live music, and unlimited beer tastings by some of Brooklyn's top beer makers. Proceeds from the Beer and Bocce Benefit provide essential support for the garden's educational and community programs. Learn more about Brooklyn Botanic Garden at bbg.org. And we're back on the Speakeasy with uh, our guest today, Chris Elford from Seattle, Washington. We're, we've been talking about curiosity, learning. We've been talking about being generous and kind to your guests. Listen, man, you moved away from New York, and you wound up in Seattle, and you cracked open some of the country's best bars. Like, how do you do that in such short order? Um, well, I really like creating. I really like... I, I receive... Uh, input when I go to bars, you know, and, and I was, I got to work as a brand ambassador. Um, I got to travel the country and, and the world and was visiting all these bars and kind of just taking little bits and pieces here and there. Um, we opened no anchor in September of 2016 in a former convenience store in Belltown. Um, and we, we received the James Beard nomination that, that first year for Best New Restaurant in America, which was huge and, and put us on the map in a way that we didn't think was possible. This is a beer bar with what I would call elevated food, Pacific Northwest food. Um, but And you also, know, you know, relatively small, right? Yeah, it's about, it's about a 30-seat spot. Right. I really like small, Me too. intimate places. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and it's designed to kind of mimic a curiosity shop which honestly i'd never thought of until this moment that curiosity is kind of my thing and that i opened a bar that's like an oddities <laughs> and curiosity shop but yeah you got like those cabinet you get the wunderkommen yeah we have curiosity a bunch of cabinet yeah i don't i don't speak french but um 
<laughs> but we've got we have all kinds of you know osteology and uh, bones, you knucklehead. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we have we have this really cool uh, kind of entomology display. It's bugs, mm-hmm. different insects. You understand? That's, a what box. You, that's what you want to see, right? When you go into a restaurant, they're not so alive. Or box nothing. of bugs. Just, yeah, bug box. <laughs> Actually, the thing that the thing that creeped people out the most. We we didn't do any of what they call in the curiosities world wet specimens. We didn't have any like pig Nothing fetuses in jars. In jars. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a there was a baby doll that was missing a, a, I think its leg had fallen off or its arm had fallen off, and then we just like rubber banded the arm in its other arm, so it was just kind of holding its own limb and just staring <laughs> lifelessly out into the abyss. And uh, a lot of people got pretty weirded out by that one, and we ended up swapping it out with something else. Um, I also have my Amoria Margot baseball card in, in that display. The only one that's ever left. I know. Sorry, I didn't know there was a policy on it. Uh, a, a guy who used to bartend with us, our dear friend Ari Form, who you, I'm sure mention very as often. often. As often as I can. Uh, he made baseball cards. Out of historic baseball cards, he found for each bartender at Amoria Margot a baseball player that looked like them, and then with a razor cut out letters that he could use to spell their name over the person's actual over the person's actual name on the baseball card. And um, he did an exceptional job at finding people that look like us, one. But two, the cards, and I know you dig this too, he would find cards that were in some way autobiographical in nature for us specifically. Exactly. So, so for me, he could, it was a Kurt Gibson card when he was playing for the Detroit Tigers, which I'm a huge Tigers fan. Yours was a guy from Atlanta. I was born there. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. he finds a historical significance to each of us and our doppelganger, and then puts our name on the cards and frames them. So yeah, they're, they're, all, they're all on display at Amori Margo from when he worked there. Yeah, except his, for he, mine. He also mentioned all the time that his greatest challenges were, of course, finding baseball players that looked like the ladies who worked at Amori Margo. He had to find guys who looked like they were in drag. And he did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> really good job of it. Um, yeah, so we opened. I'll put a picture up on the Speakeasy podcast Instagram so we can see what we're talking about. Sweet. Um, I'll, I'll send you a picture of old Kirk Gibson. Um, <laughs> So we opened No Anchor in 2016, uh, and then, uh, so it's September of 2016, and then six months later, almost to the day, we opened Navy Strength next door, our cheeky bar. And the reason that we opened these two spots simultaneously was basically the Seattle market was changing so quickly that we genuinely felt that by the time we got one of these bars open and kind of settled in, you know, maybe a couple years down the line, by the time we went to open our second thing, one, the concept would have been taken and, and explored by someone else in the same neighborhood already. Um, or, or two, the rent would be... Exorbitant. Too damn high. The, the rent is too damn high. The rent is too damn high. I think we all agree. We do. Um, but yeah, so we opened Navy Strength a short time later. And, um, you know, it was well-received. Navy Strength is our um, tropical cocktail bar. And... Um, it's it's kind of our, our own little, you know, corner of Belltown. You know, it's inspired by paradise. It kind of has shipwreck vibes to it. There's a lot of kind of um, beautiful tile and floral wallpaper, and you know, it's not a tiki bar in the traditional sense, but but the average person would certainly refer to it as a tiki bar. And sure, small, it's got a lot of color and texture and fabric and exactly ropes everywhere, and just has that look. Um, one of the things I'm most proud about with Navy Strength is that. While we use a lot of really out there ingredients in our drinks, we don't list ingredients on the menu. We list a handful of ingredients for each cocktail, and then in some way, in using turns of phrase, we explain to people the overall vibe of the drink. When we make drinks that have 11 or 12 ingredients in them, if we list all of those things, one, People don't have to, they need to know the main things, but by the time they get to ingredient six, they've already decided whether or not they're going to drink this drink. Yep. And I think it was actually on the cure menu in New Orleans was the first time I saw, because they will list ingredients and then they'll list like an explanation mm-hmm. basically of the ingredients for the average person, which I think is so thoughtful. You're not treating, it means that a person doesn't have to be an expert to walk into your bar and enjoy themselves. Correct. So we took that even farther in each drink description is like a little one sentence story in some way. Um, you know, one of my favorites, we have a drink called the Fortress of Solid Dudes. And the, the Fortress of Solid Dudes in, in this 
in this cocktail, uh, first of all, Ancho Verde is the base spirit. The, the Ancho Chili liqueur is the base spirit, which is a very challenging ingredient to work with in any increment, uh, much less as the base spirit in a cocktail. But it's the, the base is split between Ancho Verde, uh, Jaffard, Apricot, and Campari. So you have three liqueurs as the base spirit in this thing. Um, the citrus is lemon juice. Uh, we uh, put our homemade uh, coconut cream in it, which we sweeten with maple syrup, and it's just freaking delicious. Um, and then there is absinthe, which I put in pretty much everything. Um, there's Peychaud's bitters. Uh, there's orange blossom water, uh, a handful of other things. But this, if we listed all of those things, we would lose people halfway through the drink. So the way that the drink dis- is described on the menu is something like... Um, it's something like um, ancho chile and apricot meet at a house party and bond over their love of everything from Campari to comics. Life is weird. And it kind of gives you this idea that, well, first of all, ancho, Campari, and apricot are all mentioned. So you know kind of what you're getting into. Um, but also it kind of sets the stage that they're at this house party, so maybe the drink is kind of fun. You know, it talks about bonding over your love of comics, which Fortress of Solid Dudes is a reference to the Fortress of Solitude, um, Superman's. Oh, I didn't pick that up. (laughs) (laughs) For the average person, I'm pretty sure that the Venn diagram of comic nerds and people that listen to this podcast is pretty much just looks like a circle. It's a circle, yeah. um, Anyways, that's I I think it's a a fun and special way to to announce these things. And and we can tell people what's in all, all of the cocktails if they need to hear it. But I find the average person is they they dig the mystery. You know, I agree, especially when you go into a place that's uh, as as sort of, again, vibrant and, and, and colorful and inviting as as your bar is. It's it's a place where you're you're already walking in the door. You're already ready to you're open. You're open. You're as open for business as the bar is. Yep. So, like, I think that the, those those cues on the menu are, are good leaders. I think one of the only it's kind of a, a sad thing for me to admit to myself, but I do think that because we don't list everything and we have this really like nonchalant relaxed thing. I do think that sometimes people don't realize the quality of what they're getting. Cause I think for some people you have to like spell that out for them mm. and it takes a certain amount of humility for us to just be okay with that. Like there are definitely people that come in there and look at the menu and are like, they don't feel like they're at a craft cocktail bar. So they'll just order like a shot and a beer. Totally fine. They might, they probably would order a cocktail if they felt like they were at a mixology temple, but we disguised, in my opinion, one of the country's best cocktail bars as a place that might not even be a cocktail bar, which I think is, is special in and of itself. But, you know, we try, and, we try and communicate to people that what they're getting is really special, but we do get a lot of questions from people like, hey, is this, is this good? Like, are the drinks here good? And we're like, yes, they're good. <laughs> um, well, you spoke about your James Beard nomination, uh, which you didn't win. We did not even make the shortlist. In fact, although we've gotten a second nomination, which we didn't make the shortlist for either. But so, so why the first one was for best restaurant, and the second one was for outstanding bar program, which is not usual for a, a beer bar. A beer bar. Wow. To get on, and that that one really like meant meant a lot to me. Just that I don't even know who nominates people for these things, but someone out there really likes No Anchor and really appreciates what we're doing. Um, and honestly, I didn't know until pretty recently who nominated us for our tales award which is what i was about to say so then you opened up six six months later right next door this sort of hidden in plain sight cocktail bar mm-hmm. that you think maybe gets slightly even under addressed by your guests but then you went on to win best new american cocktail bar at tales of the cocktail correct do you have a big sign that says that so when people come in they don't say is there are the drinks good here <laughs> we don't have a big sign that that says it um, a little sign in the bathroom or something. I, we have a we have a, an award on the wall, which I know we'll probably touch on at, at some point. We're about to um, touch on it right now. Uh, we have an award on the wall. We have the envelope framed on the wall as well. Um, it's outside of the bathroom, so I guess it's not the sexiest place to put it. But we've only got so many walls. And then there's an article on the wall that says, you know, from the Seattle Times that says. Navy Strength just won this national cocktail award, but international, yeah. Well, it's it was best American cocktail bar, so sure. You know, um, I guess you can make the case that the melting pot that this country is. That I, I mean, a new my my wife and and business partner a new her you know her parents are immigrants from India and I'm I'm an immigrant from Canada, um, so it it feels 
maybe a little bit more international for that reason, but the uh, that really, really, really blew us away. I kept telling myself that we weren't going to win because I've been to the awards so many times and little bars like ours do not win those awards. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I've, I've just never seen it happen. The people that we were up against are people that I, not only do I esteem them, but you know, their bars are places that I visit every time that I'm in their city. You know, I was scared to death the first time that I went to Attaboy. Well, the, then it was milk and honey, but the, the Attaboy in Nashville, which is, which is a wonderful bar. Um, they were up for that award too. And I was just like, those guys are gods to me. You know what I mean? Right. I remember when Mickey first came into Amoria Margo and, you know, I think I sounded like the, the pimply faced kid from the Simpsons talking <laughs> to him. like, here's your Americano, sir. <laughs> oh, uh, but it's true, right? You're up there against these Titans, right? And you're being, you're being, uh, heralded by, by your, your, you know, your contemporaries and your colleagues. Yeah. It's amazing. And then, your name got called, and so you went up on the stage. Yep, went up on stage, and our, our lives changed. If it, to this day, if I watch that video of them announcing it, because I, I was taking video at the time, you know, just in case, and the the collective gasp at our table still brings me to tears. It was the most powerful thing that's ever happened to me. It was I never expect anything like that to happen again. People work their entire careers and don't get to experience what I got to experience one year into owning my first bars. And I just want all the people that voted for us to know how special it is to me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. What did it change? Like, what, what, were there, was there an immediate notice of change? It tripled our business overnight. And to be honest <laughs> like with you. Like literally overnight. Overnight. Um, we had to immediately hire people and I, we had friends, uh, you know, coming in to help us out on shift, um, who didn't even work there. We were so busy. And that was the first, that's the first thing that these awards do for you. I, I know that people say, you know, a lot of lists and awards are arbitrary. And, and I, I really do think that you're never as good as the best things people say about you. And you're never as bad as the worst things people say about you. Um, except for maybe you, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but, it really does affect the bottom line. And I, as a small business owner, have become a natural, um, you know, just advocate and cheerleader for other small business owners because I know how hard it is. And I think it's really wonderful to be able to have the opportunity to start a business, but, you know, to continue to exist and climb. It's, it's you know, it's one of the reasons that Amor is so special is that it was this really niche place in the East Village that was almost in like a forgotten about space. It was almost just an overlooked space. And the fact that this has grown and been cultivated and cared for over time to now being on multiple, you know, multiple shortlists at, at Tales and, and awards like that, that's just massively special. And uh, I, we did talk earlier about the fact that the awards are plates, which I feel like we need to talk about. Yeah. The award itself is an actual plate. It's a crystal clear plate at tales of the cocktail that says tales of the cocktail spirited awards whatever year and of course the name of the winner on the plate it's, a, it's like a 12 inch crystal crystal Riedel plate yep uh for for cocktails <laughs> what's the first thing you do with your plate well you drink champagne off it bring it, it gets all <laughs> over you it gets all over you i drank i drank a lot of champagne off that plate Pretty I, I, I would guess wall, that you drank some champagne off of there because I'm betting that you, most of it doesn't get drank. It slushes everywhere. It goes all it goes all over your face for sure. Um, yeah, I think the fact that they do it on a plate is kind of. I think it's weird too. I'm with you. It's also. I mean, not for. I'm not. I'm not knocking the plate. I'm hoping to get one. But I will say this: it's also not very photogenic. Oh, it's hard. Also, to take a they're hard to read. Right? Like you go to a bar that's got one, and you're like, I can't read what which one it is. Yeah, I agree with with all of those things. I don't really know what to fucking do about it. But well, we're doing it right now. We're, we're, we're maybe dropping the seed into the Solomons. Uh, you know, the Solomons took over Tales of the Cocktail. Maybe they'll make it into a, a goblet or a glass or a shaker or a mixing glass or something. Yeah. Do you remember when we won some kind of award at Amoria Margo? It's just one of the, you know, city links or like... <laughs> Or like yes, uh, single focus bar, yeah, or something like that. And it was, uh, and the prize was a shaker. And I just remember we took a picture 
I think that was Nick Bennett and I just holding the shaker like, what the heck do I do with this thing? Well, that, that was especially funny because <coughs> the prize was a shaker and the bar that won it doesn't use shakers at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at least that makes sense to the genre. You can uh, still stir a drink in there. You know what? I don't use mixing glasses about anymore. What happened Have we talked it? about this? No, what do you use? I just use my small Pints? tins. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you kind of have to babysit a little bit more because it doesn't really have the, the weight. But to be honest with you, most of the bars that I've designed, the setups are so kind of concise that I have no use for a single-use piece of equipment that's breakable. Understood. Anymore. But they're pretty. I, I think it's awesome that they're also they've gone down in price significantly. Mm-hmm. I remember back in the day, they were 50 60 bucks, and now you can get them for 14 bucks. Right. But. <clears throat> well, you know, Dave Arnold would argue that the metal tin is better for thermal transfer. Yeah, all, and, all and his, I, you know, I certainly agree existing with that. conditions and back at Booker and Dax, that we we only stirred in metal over there. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, if Uncle Dave is doing it, <laughs> then that's, everybody that's should the get way. on board. Honestly. So let's uh, let's talk about more of the things you're doing. So you've opened now, according to this podcast so far, you've opened two bars, yep. but now there's a new bar, a third bar, and where did you plant it? Smack in the middle of the other two. So basically, now they're just connected. Yeah, we opened a bar called Vinny's Raw Bar. Um, it is a. It was our coffee shop, which was a miserable failure. And the reason that I, f- I think my wife doesn't really love for me to talk about this that much, um, because we just come from from different backgrounds, and and uh, you know I feel more comfortable with it than than she does. So if she's listening to this, she won't listen to this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Skip ahead. But if she was, um, I'm sorry, Lo Siento. Um, but the coffee shop failed. It failed miserably. <laughs> Spectacular failure. And, you know, it just lost money for a year and a half and we tried different things. But honestly, we're such a small company. I mean, it's really just my wife and I kind of running the show for all of these places. And remember, my wife also has Rob Roy. Right. Um, so we're, you know, exhausted, but we're doing this for our future and we're doing it because we wanted to create. And so we had this coffee shop and our idea was these baristas would be there. They can be cranking out coffee and then they can also be doing the juicing and syrups for Navy strength, which is, which is great. They're kind of doing double duty. Well, what we found was that in, in the end, we ended up hiring people who weren't especially great at doing the prep side of things. And they also weren't especially great at doing that. You know, they were kind of just whelmers, I think is the Danny Meyer term but um some some very lovely people worked for us but it just wasn't it was our failure in leadership not their their failure at execution but after a year and a half um i had a conversation at portland cocktail week i was walking with shelby allison from lost lake Mm -hmm. and i was telling her about this coffee shop that's just keeping me up at night um not in the way you think not (laughs) because i was drinking too much coffee not in the good way because it was haunting my freaking dreams And she was just like, why don't you close it? Just close it and open something that you actually like. And she told me the story of what is now Stranger in Paradise, but it used to be called Thank You on the side of Lost Lake in Chicago, which last year when we won Best New American Cocktail Bar, they won Best American Cocktail Bar. Um, they had a place called Thank You that was a, it was basically a Chinese takeout place, and it wasn't particularly successful, and they had issues with their cooks and all of these things, and eventually... A fire happened is how they ended up closing it. The place caught on fire because the cooks got so drunk they left something on and it caught on fire overnight. Um, so they closed it and reopened it as Stranger in Paradise, which is their... Um, I know this is a, a, an audio podcast, but Souther is looking into the whiskey that he's drinking as if something has fallen into it. It looks like I'm something's talking. fallen in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm gonna, it's not going to stop me from drinking it. But anyways, no, nor should it. Um, that'll be the cleanest that particle has ever been um anyway she was like you should close it they opened stranger in paradise in their space that used to be thank you and it's you know a place where they do all of their pop-ups in fact we went and did one in in january which was wonderful and and that was the the impetus that i needed from someone outside of my immediate circle to be like yo close that shit and so we looked around and we were like cool let's open something that we love um and to be honest with you beer at this point in my career still feels like work cocktails very much feel like work um, and I, I take, you know, learning and staying abreast of, of both of those industries really seriously, which means that the thing that I drink to relax is wine, specifically natural wine, which I'm very excited about. And, uh, 
And so we opened a natural wine and raw bar, a uh, seafood-focused bar called Vinny's. It's only 28 seats. Uh, it's open 25 hours a week. Um, I mean, only 28, but you said No Anchor is, is 30. No Anchor's 30, but it has, And it's like on the James Beard standing, list. Yeah, but... It, Twice. Yeah, that's true. No Anchor has... Vinny's feels more, like more of a closet. No Anchor has 30 seats plus a couple standing bars plus a 30-seat patio outside. So on right. its best day, it could be... You know, you can fit 70 people inside and outside there. Vinny's, the max that we can do is, is you know, 30 people probably. But, um, yeah, it's been really fun so far, and it's been cool, like, stretching our legs in the natural wine world. Once again, we're pretty much just curators, but we have a, a small cocktail list there. It's the lowest waste cocktail program I've ever been a part of. Almost, almost everything, I'm trying to think of something that is used on our menu outside of just the booze that goes into the drinks that is not a byproduct of, of something else that we've created somewhere else in-house. All of our wine that goes bad gets turn, turned into vermouth. Um, we do two different types of vermouth, and all of them are infused with the scraps of things that are juiced or made into syrups at Navy Strength, our tiki bar. Um, the the, the, the um, garnishes, like when we peel things with citrus, everything is expressed and discarded, and it gets discarded into a, meaning you express your citrus over the drink so that you get the aromatic component, and then it goes into a little bucket of citrus scrap, and all of that is harvested each night and goes to back to Navy Strength, and they turn it into their oleosacrums. Um, we, we don't serve things on new ice, meaning we don't shake a drink or, or stir a drink and then pour it over fresh ice because the ice that we have in the glass we feel like still has value. It's still cold. It's just not as pretty. So what we'll do is we'll stir or shake a drink and then pop it over the ice that it was... Um, correction. We will stir a drink and pop it into the glass with the bulk of the ice that we stirred with, and then we'll add one or maybe two new ice cubes on top so that it has the appearance of something that looks good. And then our shake... Oh, sorry, that's my alarm. <laughs> we probably can't play this on the show, but yeah, that's that's my alarm. Not enough seconds. <laughs> what? So, okay, wait. So, so keep keep going with that. So, so, so um, then, shaken so, drinks. So, shaken drinks. We we don't serve shaken drinks on ice because I still have standards and we still want to fine strain things. So we are discarding that ice, but we try to shake with kind of minimal ice, get the right texture, get the right temperature, and then you know put it into a pop it into a um, you know a cocktail glass. Um, not on, on new ice. A lot of this work, the heavy lifting of this research was done by Claire Sprouse and Chad Arnholt, who are, Love those guys. are just like people who I have just such immense respect for. And my Facebook memory today actually was us at Tales five years ago drinking at the Aaron Rose. And I sent Claire a text and I was like, I'm so pumped that we're still friends. But they have really taken that bull by the horns mm-hmm. as far as just improving the the realm of sustainability in the cocktail world. And sure. I'm a follower in this, but I did finally get to create a program where I get to use all the things that I've been learning and all of the, we don't even have lime juice there. Like our shaken drinks are, we use a wine that's gone bad as the base and then we acidify them and sweeten them and make them into these like, essentially it's wine sour mix, honestly, is the unsexy way of saying it. We call them, you know, we'll call it like a lime Riesling cordial. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're just shaking. And then all my drinks are two bottle pickups because I'm just basically batching everything together and making these ingredients as one kind of whole shelf stable thing. Amazing. Yeah. Super fun. Can't wait to come and see that. You know, one of the things I do at, at honeybees and, uh, some over at blue quarter is, uh, we, we shake all of our shaken drinks with a very small amount of pebble ice. Mm-hmm. We shake it until that ice is totally melted. So you get the aeration, you get the dilution because that ice melts. Like you, get whip the, you get the, it's whip shake, yeah, for sure. Cocky Frank tells taught me whip shake. Yeah, whip shaking and dirty pour, right? Then pour all of that into the glass uh, um, because th- there's nothing left, right? So that ice is the dilution. So it's just one use and it's gone. My wife heard someone at a cocktail competition recently call that the Elford pour. They were like, you no, the Elford dump. Dump. <laughs> uh, funny when you when I picture you. Not so so funny when I picture a new. <laughs> but yeah, the the uh, the dirty dump. Some people call it. You just shake it and dump the whole thing in. But it's a really efficient way to make drinks, and you're not wasting just not only the extra water, but the extra energy that it took to make that ice. Yeah. Well, I also really enjoy the the fact that we sort of measure it out. You know, like when you do a blended drink, you measure out the ice, right? So we measure it out in such a way that. When we shake it, it's just gone. So even that, that even right. that dirty dump, the ice is gone. Yeah, the dilution is correct. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you know ice is a commodity, man, and you know can't can't just be literally burning it up. 
Well, you know, for us, we, we can't do it. We only use cubed ice at um, Vinny's because we all of our crushed ice goes onto, you know, seafood towers and oyster platters, and then it's also the same ice machine that cranks out all of the drinks for all the ice for the drinks at Navy Strength, which are almost all on crushed ice. So right. we, that machine is getting a significant amount of work. And uh, it's a workhorse. Hoshizaki's. Hoshizaki, baby. Yeah. Okay, well, we're running towards the end of the show here, but <coughs> I wanted to talk about something we talked about off air, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of ties a lot of these things together. Your curiosity, your continuing education in cocktails and beer and now into wine. Um, you're thinking about opening a brewery. Yeah. We are. When is this going to, when, when, how long does it take these things to air? I mean, I'll, I'll air it when you want me to air it. Okay. I'm opening a brewery. <laughs> We're working on it. Um, we found a really cool space in Seattle. Um, I'm partnering with one of, in my opinion, one of the best brewers, not just in the country, but in the world, um, whose name I won't drop here because, um, you know, it just hasn't been announced yet and it wouldn't be fair for me to, to blow up their spot just yet. But um, first of all, it's, it's, I'm excited to be partnering with a woman um, in the craft beer industry, which um, there's woefully low numbers of, you know, not just women, but people of color and, and um, you know, LGBTQ um, people represented in the craft beer world. It's a very, you know, cis white male dominated world and that makes it pretty fucking boring to be honest with you um i'd much rather hang out with cocktail people because that world just feels really diverse to me but um the brew is going to be called here today and our idea is um i think i was telling you last night our idea is um like celebrating the here today and basically ignoring the gone tomorrow Uh, just being excited for each day being excited for each guest experience and um you know in the same way that we did at no anchor like really focusing on hospitality and making people feel really welcome it's going to be right down on the waterfront on the puget sound in in seattle which is it's an area that's being redeveloped right now and uh, we could not be more excited to to be cranking out some probably pretty strange and out there beers by by many standards certainly the the tourists who are coming off the cruise ships down there you know might be might raise some eyebrows at some of the things that we're doing but we're going to be doing some fermentation in historic vessels so we have some giant oak fooders that we're bringing in um and then we have a guy who's making life-size amphora um in uh, out of oregon of course oregon because that's where things like that would happen you know portlandia but um this guy makes life-size amphora which are just giant clay jugs which i don't think too many people have fermented beer in those in the last few thousand years but everything used to be fermented in them and you know before we had glass mm. obviously so i'm really pumped um i'm excited to transition from curator to maker in the beer world and um you know i'm not going to be the technical brewer and my purview is basically the front of house but i'm very excited to learn under this brewer and uh you know i used to be a distiller when i mm. lived in new york i worked at king's county distillery and the brooklyn navy yard and it definitely i know that that's that type of work is not my strength my strength is and talking to people and communicating ideas. Um, I'm not a, a great, like, long-term, detail-oriented worker, um, or at least I wasn't until I owned my own bars. Um, but, yeah, I'm just I'm really, really, really pumped about getting in there and creating something that hopefully is going to be, like, a lasting fixture of a newly redeveloped waterfront. You know, it's, like, kind of like when they redid the high, when they did the High Line in New York. In fact, I think the same guy is develop is designing uh, the bulk of the kind of park system for the Seattle waterfront. Um, but we're, our brewery is going to be in there, so it should be really cool. I'm excited for you to come see it. I'll, I'll be right there. Um, day one. <clears throat> well, dude, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy, busy tales of the cocktail. Come sit down and chat with me Hell yeah. on the speakeasy. Um, I'm so like really, you know, charmed by everything that you do. Uh, and and having been able to be part of it in the beginning and to watch it continue to grow. And also, we didn't even mention here on the show, but like Chris Elford is the creator of the Sharpie mustache. Truth. <laughs> yeah. Which has been on the menu at Amore Margo for, I guess, pushing six years now. Um, yeah, more. 
No, seven years. Seven. Um, yeah, it's been, been on written since up in two, fall 2012. bunches of books, including mine. It's been yep. on menus all over the country and world. I've had people reach out to me and ask if they could use it, and I say sure as long as you give credit to Chris. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> the um, you know that drink has certainly done some heavy lifting in my career, but you know, I just wanted to say two other things. One of which is you the impact that you've had on my career, and obviously we've been friends together since you know those. OG Amori Amargo days, but you know, you've just been such a massive influence on me and and I still, you know, like quote you daily and when I'm teaching these people in in Seattle, which I think is is just super awesome and I hope that you know what a what an effect that you've had on me. And then the other thing is to your listeners, um I run all the social media accounts for the bars and I I want everyone listening to know that, you know, if if you're if you find yourself in Seattle, you have a home at No Anchor and Navy Strength and I, I will gladly shake your hand and probably cheers you with a beverage and and um yeah i just think if people happen to make it out to that remote corner of the country that it helps to have like a you know a home base or a place safe place to land yeah yeah exactly that's outstanding so is that the best way if someone wants to get in touch with you through social for all the bars yeah this the uh at no anchor bar um at navy strength seattle at vinnie's raw bar and i'm just at chris elford um yeah dude this has been great hell yeah thank you so much buddy yeah buddy cheers cheers to you so you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load knows that country music's gonna save your soul the want more of the speakeasy follow us and ask questions on instagram at speakeasy podcast or on twitter at speakeasy radio you can find Damon at Damon Bolte, and you can find me at Creative Drunk on all platforms. Take a moment to write us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform, and give us a star rating, five if possible. If you're visiting New York City or a resident, stop by the studio and hang out with us during an episode. Reach out beforehand to make sure we'll be here. We'd love to see you. And please support our show by visiting heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the beating heart to donate. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.